And if you'd like, there should be seats that pop up as they depart. Uh, Now, if you're sticking with me, we're in the midst of this series where we're going through our discipleship acronym, which is called ABLE. Um, So, when we started the church plant five years ago, it was with this conviction, maybe I should wait. (laughs) You're like, I have no idea what you're saying. All these cute little kids are like walking by me, yeah. Um, it was with the conviction that we didn't want to just be a people who believed in Jesus, but also a people that trusted him enough to practice his way. And that's why we try to figure out a way to like capture that. Uh, so we created this discipleship acronym called ABLE. So A stands for attend. So we created practices. So what does it look like to attend to the presence of God? Uh, B is bless. How do we become a people that bless people inside and outside the church? L is learn. How do we become a people that learn from the scriptures and just from God about ourselves and life? And E is how do we become a people that eat? Well, you probably already do that. Um, this is how do, we, how do we eat with people inside and outside the church to embody the welcome of God? Right? You go through the New Testament, you see Jesus eating with people all the time as a way to embody the welcome of the kingdom. Last week, we talked about A, and we talked about one of the practices, healing. Now, if you go to our website, you'll see there's 24 practices, or 16. I can't remember. I think 16 did bad math. And um, today, we're going to talk about B, which is bless. And we're going to focus on, we have four different bless practices. Today, we're going to talk about generosity. I I read a magazine article um, it said something like this, that if American churchgoers gave 10% of their income to God's work in the world, there would be $165 billion set loose to bless the world. Now, just, you know, I, I didn't like proof text all these numbers, but I think there's some truth to what they're saying. These are some of the things they said. $165 billion every year could be used to do a lot of things. Only 15% of that, $25 billion, could be used to relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable disease within five years. That's only 15%. 7%, 12 billion, could be used to eliminate illiteracy within five years. 9% of that, 15 billion, could be used to solve the world's water and sanitation issues. Less than 1% of that, or 1 billion, could fully fund all overseas mission work. And that would leave 60% of that $165 billion every year for $100 to $110 billion that could be just used for church ministry. If the American church could get close to giving 10%, it would literally change the world. It would witness to God's heart for people and issues in the world, right? People would look at the church's giving and impact and say, wow, your community is doing crazy stuff. Tell me why, how? And then you'd be able to talk about how God's work in your, world, in your life had set you free to share your resources with others. It's also true that in order to create spaces like this, people, for, people to worship God in churches, almost every church in the world depends on the generosity of the congregation to support that ministry so people can be in a community 
where they're worshiping Jesus with other people, growing into Jesus' likeness. Now, to lean into this topic of generosity, we're going to look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. He's standing on a hillside, looking at the Sea of Galilee. People are there listening to him. It's one of his most famous sermons. We're going to look at a chunk of it where he talks about money and anxiety and dependence. There's two basic chunks to it, uh, Matthew 6, uh, I think it's 16 through 45, and then the second chunk uh, we'll get into after that, which is more about anxiety. But I just want to recognize right off the outset, talking about money and generosity is like really sensitive. So I just want you to know from the very beginning of this message, and if you've been around Wellspring, you've probably heard me say this, I struggle with generosity. So just know from the very beginning, I am not great at this. So I'm not speaking to you as someone who's saying like, man, I have figured this out. My wife is like way more generous than me. I am way more, I am predisposed to save every penny that comes into our house. I won't spend it and I won't say, or I won't give it. I am prone to saving every single penny because to me, money often feels like security. So just know, as we lean into this topic, that I am not up here saying that I am the guru and I know how to do this. What I am trying to do is point to the way of Jesus and figure out how we, as a group, can take it seriously and try and practice it. And I think if we look at national giving statistics, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. National giving statistics say something like this. Uh, Folks who don't ever go to church give about 1.5% of their income to charity. Good work in the world. Stuff they care about. Uh, The church, which is called to embody God's love in the world, gives about 2.5%. So that means churchgoers who depend on the living God give 1% more. I think this begs the question, of whether or not we actually prioritize generosity in our kingdom participation. This is why I really want to look at what Jesus says, because I think it has some real on-the-ground implications, probably for most of us, who I think are probably a little more like me and struggle to be really generous with finances. Two chunks, Matthew 6, 19 to 34. The first one is 19 to 24. The second chunk is uh, 25 to 34. You can follow in your Bibles or it'll be projected up here. This is chunk number one. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Nice light reading. Um, (laughs) Now, when you read this, you might think these first three subjects, right? You have treasure, maws, eyes, light, two masters. They kind of feel unrelated when you go through it. But in fact, they're actually really connected. 
Let's, let's look at the first one, right? Jesus teaches us not to put too much wealth, too much trust in wealth because it's not dependable. So in the first century, it was actually not uncommon. There was uh, homes were mostly built of these kind of like mud brick walls. And thieves, what they would literally do is either tunnel under or through the mud brick, and they would steal treasure that people hid under their like floors. Right? And Jesus is saying, hey, tr- your treasure can be stolen, Hey guys, invest your treasure on things that can't be stolen, something that can't be, uh, that is more permanent, right? Namely, the kingdom of God. And then he has this really profound statement about the heart. It says this, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But in my experience, at least, uh, when I first started following Jesus, no one ever talked to me about money or my heart. Well, they talked about my heart, but what they would say is something like this. Hey, if you want to invest your heart in God's kingdom, you know, go to worship. Read your Bible. Pray. I'm just going to do a quick demo. I'm going to channel my inner, like, magician. Um, treasure. You know. <laughs> so imagine this is your heart or my heart. Mine floats. Um, Right? If you want to invest your heart into God's kingdom, read the Bible. Do it, right? But when it came to treasure, this thing is like serious treasure. Oh, all right. Treasure, do what you want. Do what comes natural. Right? That's the implicit communication because we never talked about it. I just assumed, sure, treasure, I just do what I want. And you know what comes natural to me? I've already said, right? I don't spend money. I save it. My first job, I mean, this is kind of weird, uh, but I worked in a group home. I made $19,000, right? I think I saved like thirteen dollars or $14,000. I am like, if I can figure out a way to spend nothing on rent and figure out to get my food cheap or for free, like, I am built for this. <laughs> Naturally, this is what I do. I hoard for financial Armageddon. (laughs) To me, by never talking about my heart in relationship to my treasure, I did what was natural for me. I figured out how to save as much as I could. The thing is, I read the New Testament, and I kept reading about Jesus talking about money. Passages like this, and it started to feel uncomfortable at some point of like, I should probably start thinking about giving some money away. I really, if you've been around Wellspring, you've heard the story. I apologize if you're not. If you're new, welcome. Uh, so, I literally remember the first time I ever gave someone money. I literally remember it. I was living in Santa Cruz, and um, you know, I was inspired by the ethic of Jesus. I wanted to trust Him with my life and my money. And my friends and I, two of us, uh, three of us, would go to Dollar Pizza in Santa Cruz. And I decided, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to treat them each to one slice. (laughs) And I did it. I didn't enjoy the dinner at all. Every moment, every bite, I was just watching them eat my money away. (laughs) But what I realized... $2 into my generosity journey, my heart was so attached to my money. 
And I realized, man, like, I don't think this is good. So I started to give my money away a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And what I noticed is as I invested my money into other people and God's work in the world, I started to know that I cared about other people more. I started to know that my focus was a little more on God's kingdom and a little less on stockpiling every penny I had. I realized I was a little bit more focused and able to trust in Jesus and his kingdom as I little bit by little bit gave my money away. Glenn Stassen, he's a professor at Fuller. I had him as a teacher. He once said this uh, to our class. He says, God wants your heart, not only your money, but Jesus is a realist. Your heart tends to follow your money. I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice he doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. In fact, what he says is, that your heart follows your treasure. What I was implicitly taught when I first started following Jesus is that they are separate things. What Jesus teaches is actually that our treasure is, our heart is connected to our treasure. And when we move our treasure, that is a really bad sound, our heart moves. That when you invest in the things of God, in the kingdom of God, in things God cares about, it actually moves your heart. And I think this is why Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why? Because our heart follows our treasure. When our treasure is invested in the kingdom, we move closer to Jesus, right? serving his purposes in the world. Now, there's this little bit in the middle where Jesus starts talking about eyes and lights and darkness, and I think for many of us, we're like, what is happening here? But actually, in the first century, this would have flowed seamlessly. Uh, this idea of the eye in the ancient Near East uh, represents kind of like the evil eye or is also called the greedy eye. See, the greedy eye makes the whole body greedy. The generous eye makes the whole body generous. Said differently, money has a disproportionate effect on who we become. Whether full of light or full of darkness, full of generosity or full of greed. And this takes on added significance when you think about what Jesus was talking about just before. He says, the church is called to be the light of the world. Which hinges in part on what we do with our treasure. Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That's sort of the, the first part of Jesus' teaching on money. And if I was going to give one tip, it would be this. You know, begin where you are. The reason I say this is just probably from personal experience. Like, for me, it started with, like, how embarrassing. Two slices of pizza. My guess is almost everyone in this room is more generous than me. 
Like, for most of you, that's probably not a hard move, you know? For me, brutal. I guess I would just invite you to consider what would it look like for you to invest in God's kingdom today? Right? If your heart follows your treasure, what does it look like for you to align your treasure so that your heart will move closer to Jesus, more aligned with His kingdom? You know, maybe it's helping a friend. Maybe it's investing in an organization you really care about. You know, if you aren't sure, you know, we partner with lots of organizations you could give directly to. You could give to iHelp, right? Like those little giving things in the pews, right? You could write on there, iHelp, whatever amount of money you want to give, and we will give it directly to them. You want to give to the bridge? You want to support people in addiction? Just write on there, the bridge. That money will go right to them. Nancy's Project, you want to, you want to help farm workers? Great, invest in them. I've found, me personally, that, I, I mean, I've done those kind of things. I've also found that, I've, I've found it kind of this process for me of learning to just trust the local church, too, of like, all right, I'm going to give my resources and allow God to steward those. Maybe that's your next step. There's this book I like, I totally recommend. Uh, it's a silly little book called Plastic Donuts. It's super short by this guy named Jeff Anderson. It's all about giving if you're like, you're like, I'd love to read that, but there's no way I'm spending $11 for a Kindle edition of that, I will buy it for you, okay? <laughs> I've come a long way. Um, <laughs> my point is, Jesus wants us to be a generous people, and it always starts where we are. And you come in this morning with a certain relationship to money, and I think Jesus is here today, if you're wanting to practice His way and become a generous person, inviting you on a journey of financial generosity, where you consider, what does it look like for me to align my treasure with my heart? Now, which kind of brings us to part two. My experience in any message on giving is there's a chunk of the congregation who's ready to just kind of leave. They're just like, oh, I had to come today. You know, and if you're here for the first time, we talk about money every week. No, just kidding. We don't, right? Like, we don't talk about it all that time, all that often. Where we want to create an environment where people are not manipulated into giving, but freely giving, cheerful givers. We also want to talk about money because we believe that it's important in when you look at the biblical ethic from Genesis through Revelation, God wants to form a generous people. So we think it's actually inappropriate not to talk about it, hence today. But I want to recognize that I think for many of us it creates anxiety, right? If you've been in a relationship, if you have a partner, like probably you fought with your spouse over this at some point. You've probably had anxiety or fear around this at some point if you have lived long enough. And I think Jesus anticipated this. He says this to this group of people, right? Your, your heart follows your treasure. He says to them, you can't serve God in money, right? And then he knows the human heart at this moment is going to start feeling anxious. Because we assume, I think, at least I do, that money and self-provision, security, go together. He assumed that if we actually began to consider being generous people and investing in His kingdom, it might create some worries about our needs getting met. 
right? And you collide that with the cynicism of modern culture, which just sort of assumes that if we trust God, we are going to fall on our face. Inflation, rent, braces, college, right? The long list. And yet, when you think of the crowd he's talking to, most of these people don't have tons of money. The disciples left everything. They've left nets. They've left boats. They are precariously dependent on the provision of God. And this is what Jesus says next. Therefore, connecting what he's about to say to what he just said, you cannot serve God in money, he says this, therefore, why is the therefore there? I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Therefore, Jesus is standing on this hillside, right? He's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He probably sees a bird flying by. It's like, hey, look at the bird. God cares for that bird. They're sitting on the hillside, there's probably flowers popping up at their feet, and he's like, hey, look at, look at the flowers. The Father gives them clothes. Right? Jesus wants to make clear, right, that we can trust the Father, that He'll provide for us what we need. Right? That if we choose to be a generous people, the Father will show Himself faithful to us. Now, Jesus isn't saying, hey, sit on a rock and meditate all day. He's not saying, like, you don't need to work for your food or drink or clothing. That isn't the point. Jesus' point is that we don't need to worry, be anxious, as we invest more in His kingdom and a little less in our own. Right? We don't need to hold back stockpiling for financial Armageddon, but we can feel free to chase Jesus to live in the kingdom. Right? We don't have to, like the secular community around us, play it safe. Right? Putting 1.5% to secular organizations. Why? 
because we know that we have a Father who loves us and will provide for us. And this is why Jesus contrasts His followers with the Gentiles, right? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, He knows you need Him. Right? Because we know we have a loving Father. We can invest generously in Jesus' kingdom, right? We can invest our treasure so that our heart is aligned with the Father who will provide for us, who loves us. Which I think begs the question, do we actually believe Jesus? I was reading this, I was like, really? Right? Raised in a cynical culture, I think it's hard to trust that Jesus is actually saying this, not as a platitude, not as a little sign you can put on your wall, but as something you can actually count on and live by. It's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like, often we talk about in church, especially in American church, we talk about, do you believe in Jesus? You know, we use that often as like litmus test. Like, do you believe and I totally agree with that. Awesome. And I want to ask a second question. Do we believe what Jesus believed? Yes, believe in Jesus. But the invitation of Jesus is to believe what he believed. And he believed the Father was good and kind and generous and would provide for us as we were generous towards investing in his kingdom and other people. Jesus believed that if we took the risk to treat someone to $2 a pizza, he would be there for us. This is the thing, though, about money, right? Money is this funny thing. I have yet to meet someone who was like, you know what? I just have so much. Like, seriously, can you take some? You know, like, who, you know, like you go to Thanksgiving dinner or whatever and there's all these leftovers and you say to the guests, like, seriously, it's going to go bad if you don't take it. Like, no one has ever said that about money. Like, I just got too much. Money has this way of making it feel like we just never, if we just had a little bit more, we'd be Okay. I think it's into this context that Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we have to put this into its context, the context of seeking first the kingdom, the context of anxiety, the context of financial generosity, and clearly what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is connected to our lining with our our treasure with His kingdom, and therefore our hearts will follow and will realize, oh, the Father is there to provide for me. I don't have to worry all the time of whether I'm going to have enough. Right? Jesus is convinced that this is the flourishing life. He's convinced that our hearts will not only draw closer to the Father, but the Father will meet us in the risk. 
And just as, you know, Jesus sees the birds in need of food, so the Father sees us as we struggle to live faithfully as generous people. Now, if I was going to offer just kind of two tips on like, okay, you have part one and then part two, like what are two tips I'd offer here? The first would be this, like, I do think we need to cultivate rhythms of gratefulness for a few reasons. Uh, I think often in our anxiety, we fail to mark, to notice, to label, to highlight the Father's provision in our everyday life. The food we eat, the shelter we sleep in, the body we have when it functions, the friends we have in our life. Often we take the, the fact that we can gather together safely to worship as a body. See, we often take these things for granted, and in so doing, we don't see the Father's manifold and generous provision. And this fuels our anxiety because we wonder then whether we will be able to have or get the next thing we need in life. But when we're constantly turning back to the Father saying, thank you, we slowly, slowly become the kind of people who expect, like Jesus did, that the Father will generously and graciously and kindly provide for our needs, which then frees us to become the kind of people who are more generous with our treasure, the kind of people who seek first the kingdom without fear. So I gotta just say, like, if you struggle with anxiety and struggle with generosity, I think this is a really healthy and good habit to cultivate so you can see the Father's provision in the regular contours of your everyday life. The second thing I would say, the second sort of tip I would offer would be this, like, and it's a question, you know, what is off limits? I say this for two reasons. One, you know, I've attended church, I've been a pastor for a bit, not as long as many of you. It's a pretty rare thing for someone to come into a group or ask someone, hey, you know, I struggle a little bit with greed. You know, this is how much I give. This is how much I make. Hey, can you discern with me what it looks like to move forward with my money? We can do this with sexual addiction. We can do this with alcohol. We can do this with any kind of drug addiction. We can do this with unbelievable spectrum of issues, struggles, whatever. Money? When's the last time someone asked you to discern with them about money? And yet, Jesus talks about it all the time. Why is that? It makes me wonder whether in the American church we've disconnected financial generosity from discipleship. We just assume it's personal. But show me one verse in the entire Bible that says that. And I guess this asks, sort of invites a question for me of like, do you think sort of setting this financial generosity outside of conversational discipleship and discernment actually helps you become more like Jesus? My guess is not. 
Do you think it helps us become the light of the world? Where we're giving to God's causes around the world and then people look and be like, man, look at what you guys are doing. That is awesome. We were, our family was kind of fortunate. Uh, in our early 20s, there was a couple that did this. They would just like meet with couples. So we were sort of like invited into this couple to share our budget, how much we made, how much we give, what we spent on coffee, whatever. All of it with this other couple and prayerfully discern with them, how do we move forward faithfully with our finances? It's part of one of the reasons I realized how addicted I was <laughs> to money. It was actually going outside of myself. One, meeting my wife, who's way more generous than me. Two, having this couple speak into our life. And I guess I just wonder for you today, as I say this, like, did your anxiety just go from like a two to a 10? There's no way I'm sharing this with anyone. And I think my question would be, why? Assuming that people are safe, assuming that people love you, why would you not? I think in American culture, if you make a lot, you feel like you're bragging, right? If you make little, you feel ashamed. But I still see nothing in this that if people love you, this would not help you become more like Jesus. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, you might have noticed up until this point, I have not told you anything super practical. You're like, tell me how much I need to give. I make this much, give me the metric. And I've done this very intentionally because one, I want you to be the kind of person, I want us to be the kind of people that process this with Jesus. I want you to say to Jesus, I how do I invest my treasure in your kingdom so that my heart is aligned with yours? And then I want us to be the kind of people that process and discern in community. So then we can be the kind of people who say, hey, I've talked with Jesus about this. Can I talk with you now? Because the truth is, you know, often I'm blind. N.T. Wright has this great quote. Famous theologian, he says something like, you know, I'm pretty sure that 20% of what I teach and know is wrong. The problem is I just don't know what 20% it is. <laughs> and I think this is true with often much of our spiritual life and our discernment. And we actually need other people to walk with us. What is off limits? I believe that we are all gathered today because on some level we want to practice the way of Jesus. This is kind of the center of the message, right? When we invest our treasure into Jesus' kingdom, our hearts draw nearer to Jesus and we experience the Father's provision. And then our anxiety goes down. The author of Hebrews says it well when he says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to invite the worship team up and figure out how to move this without that horrible screech. Oh, yes, successful. All right. Two arts.
As we sort of transition into worship, I think my prayer is that we would just become a people that are radically open to practicing the way of Jesus. That we are a people who learn how to trust in the provision of the Father so that we are not riddled by anxiety. Because anyone who is riddled by anxiety knows it is not very pleasant. I want us to be the kind of people that give so generously, not just to Wellspring, but to God's work in the world, that people are like, wow, look at what the church is doing. Tell me about your God. But I know that to be that, to walk that path and to get to that destination starts with us wrestling internally and in community about what does it look like for us all to be faithful. And the truth is, at Wellspring, I will never know how much you give. There is no back-end, you know, chart with giving faithfulness. I don't know it. My desire is that we would be a people who align our hearts with Jesus' kingdom and we continue to grow. And I think one of the ways we do that is through financial generosity. So I just want to keep some space, open some space here just for God to speak to us and convict us. Holy Spirit, I just pray that, you know, whenever we talk about money, God, it's so easy for us to feel defensive, it's so easy for us to feel ashamed or even proud. I just pray that you would just annihilate all those defenses by the power of your Spirit, that we would be in this place just humble, open-handed people recognizing that everything we have dependent on your generosity. That the skills you have given us maybe have earned us a lot of money, but those are your skills that you have given us. Maybe we're struggling today and we just need to know that you are a good father who will provide for us. So Holy Spirit, just in this space, we just say, speak to us. Call us to that next step of faithfulness. We want to practice your way, Jesus. We want to trust you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Be the king of our heart. May our allegiance be to you as we seek first your kingdom in this place. Sure.